Well, today we come to the fourth and final message of the series titled, From Mission to Ministry. And in this series, I've tried to emphasize that the church works, meaning it functions, it operates, it behaves. The church works and it worships as God intends only when His purpose becomes our practice. And in thinking through God's purpose for the church as it's revealed in the New Testament Gospels and modeled in Acts and explained in the epistles, I've settled on this important statement. We exist to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And the Great Commandment, of course, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, to love Him with everything you are and do. While the Great Commission is to go, to go into a world of, of lost people in the power and presence of Christ and make disciples of Christ. So when we put these two together, commandment and commission, we see that three priorities emerge. There is an upward focus. There's to be an upward focus. Love the Lord your God. There's to be an outward focus. Go into all the world. And there's to be an inward focus. Make disciples. And you may have noticed some of you have commented on the, the, the posters that we've put downstairs just to remind us of these three priorities on a regular basis. Andre uh, put all of that together for us, and I'm extremely, extremely thankful for his uh, work in that area. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the great commandment together and we said that God, that when God is first in our affections, when God is first in our affections, certainly he will be first in our ambitions. In other words, our worship of God excites our witness. Our love for God naturally spills out in love for neighbor. And last week, in turning to the Great Commission, we learned that as disciples of Christ, not only are we recipients of the gospel, but we are also participants in it. Jesus sends us forth. He sends us out. And so I asked you to, to, to partner with me, to think with me, in identifying ways that we can be more outward in this community or to this community in which God has placed us. And again, this whole idea is if we believe that God has placed us here as opposed to anywhere else, then, then, then we can also trust that there are people here that He intends us to reach. So how can we be more hospitable by hosting community events, perhaps? Or, or how can we take more of an interest in what interests our neighbors? And the response, I want to share this with you, the response in just one week from last Sunday to today has been very, very encouraging. Here are just some of the ideas you have suggested thus far. We could coordinate a local golf tournament. We could host a chilly kickoff. 
We could serve with the Granite Bay High School Campus Life Ministry. We could host a monthly or a weekly, a monthly or a quarterly food night. We could invite the firefighters next door to our church luncheons and give them all the leftovers. <laughs> or better yet, we could host a luncheon in their honor and just thank them for their service. We could participate in the upcoming Courage Run. You'll, I think you'll be hearing more about this to help raise funds and awareness to fight human and sex trafficking. We can offer a parent's night out to the community, to the neighborhood, where we provide childcare and babysitting to give mom and dad a night away. Great opportunity to minister to parents as well as children. Uh, I love this one. We could form a running or walking ministry. I mean, I love the fact that someone is, has just, and, and when, when they shared this with me, it was like, hey, we have a lot of walkers in this neighborhood. There are a lot of joggers in this neighborhood. What if we began just to walk and jog the neighborhood as well? We could uh, restart the annual craft fair boutique. We could host an annual car show. We could provide after-school care tutoring. We could launch a sports ministry or in some way make better use of our grass and outdoor space. We could, uh, again, this is a great observation. Hey, we have a lot of people who walk their dogs through this neighborhood. What if we were to offer periodic uh, dog training courses? Uh, we could establish what, what's kind of loosely being called, it's a parents of teenagers ministry, or what's loosely being called POTS. It's kind of a spinoff of MOPS, MOPS being mothers of preschoolers. Well, somebody was thinking, well, let's take that and talk about parents of teenagers. And let's call it POTS. An opportunity, it's a support group where parents can just gather just to, to sometimes just to vent, it's been a rough week to decompress, to praise our teenagers, to pray for our teenagers. And then someone suggested, you know, what if we just went door to door simply to introduce ourselves and ask our neighbors how we can serve them? I love it. So we're 15 brainstormed ideas in just a matter of one week. And I'm sure there are more. But here's what I really love. I love that some of you, in your suggesting of these ideas, I love that some of you are saying, I'll take that one on myself. Let me explore that one. Let me see what becomes of this. I love this growing sense of I'm in. All in. As I shared with you last week, we all play, we all, we all play a vital participatory role in what God is doing in us and among us and through us in our neighborhood.
Very, very encouraging to me. And so having already considered the first two priorities, upward and outward, today, let's give attention to inward, to the priority of discipleship and the making of disciples. And by inward, I don't mean, this is important, I don't mean self-serving or self-focused or some form of the holy huddle. Inward is not ingrown. It's just the opposite, really. Upward is loving the Lord. Outward is reaching people for the Lord. Inward is building them up in the Lord. Here's the point. As disciples of Christ, we are commissioned to to disciple others in Christ. As disciples of Christ, we are commissioned to disciple others others in Christ. The imperative in the Great Commission is is twofold. Go, that's number one, and make disciples. Jesus commands us to go, to keep on going, and that as we go, to make disciples. And so what makes a disciple? What makes a disciple? What traits characterize a disciple of Christ? I see at least three things alluded to in this text. Number one, disciples of Christ continue in his word. Disciples of Christ continue in his word. Jesus says in verse 20, Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe... All that I have commanded you. Elsewhere in John 8.31, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple. To continue in Christ's word is to hold to his teaching. It's to learn and obey God's word, knowing there is a direct correlation between our obedience to the word of God and our relationship with Jesus. Therefore, learning the Bible and living by its teaching, observing all that he has commanded is essential to discipleship. Our efforts to make disciples should be characterized by our commitment to Scripture. That's why a strong pulpit, why I believe a strong pulpit is the very best form of congregational care, why I want to grow as a student, of God's Word. It's why we believe in and promote the importance of midweek home groups and Bible studies. We would love to see more groups added and more people coming together throughout the week in and around the Scriptures. It's why I'd like to implement an all-church Scripture memory ministry so that we can meditate upon and memorize the Word of God together as a congregation. Matthew Henry says it is, it is our duty not only to hold fast, but to hold forth the word of life. Not only to hold it fast for our benefit, but to hold it forth for the benefit of others. So as disciples and disciple makers, we must continue 
in Christ's word, and listen, we must train others to do the same. Number two. Disciples of Christ love his people, including his church. Disciples of Christ love his people, including his church. Remember what Jesus told his, his disciples in the upper room the night before his betrayal? arrest and crucifixion. He had just washed their feet. And then with them all gathered, he says to them in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he says, by this, that is, by your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. The most effective evangelism strategy is our love for one another. If we take this verse, this teaching of Jesus at face value, he says that your, by your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. Whenever I come across this passage, this John 13, 34, 35 passage, I think back to the summer of, I, th I think it was 2003, 2002. Lauren, I may ask you to help me on this. When I took our high school students on a mission trip to inner city San Francisco. 2000, I'm going to say 2003. I'm going to say 2002. Okay. <laughs> And to this day, it's one of my fondest memories in youth ministry. I mean, we had just a great team of students and leaders. God had just assembled a great team of students and leaders. Lauren, at that time Hedrick, now Elmendorf. Um, Kevin Gubitz. Kate Jordan. Sean and, uh, Sean and Beth Grork, Mike Ross, at that time Amy Burlingham, now Amy Mayer, uh, Debbie Hudson was one of our leaders. Debbie was just an amazing youth group mission trip leader. She, she joined me, what, what I think three years she joined me, maybe four. And so God had just assembled this great team of students and leaders, and, and, uh, and we were just, we were excited to serve the Lord by serving lost and largely forgotten people in the inner city. 
And day one went really, really well. Everyone's on a high. But over the course of days two and three, I noticed that we began to, um, to grumble and complain and irritate each other. And we were growing less unified and more irritated with one another, and it was affecting our ministry. So on the evening of day three, I gathered everyone together, and I, and, I, and I kind of took us on a walk from the Tenderloin District, where we were staying for the week, the Tenderloin District, and we walked down to Ghirardelli Square. I mean, by the way, that by itself was quite an experience. I mean, it's amazing what you see when you just walk through the neighborhoods. It's amazing what you wish you hadn't seen. And so we get down to, the, to Ghirardelli Square, and uh, we treat everyone to ice cream, and we just enjoy a couple of hours decompressing together. And then we went down to the beach, we circled up, and that's when I told the group that we were missing the point. That our efforts to love the lost, I said, were being undone by our lack of love for one another. We talked about being cliquish and complaining. And as we sat beside the bay that night, we, 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 we just discussed our standoffish attitudes and our snide comments that subtly but surely were, were wearing us down and tearing us apart and weakening our witness. We were trying to love and serve people without loving and serving each other, and we all agreed that it couldn't be that way anymore. And so from that point forward, we began to love each other. We began to serve each other, and we began to serve people together. And it was a phenomenal trip in so many ways. And the point, I think, is that disciple-making begins with being a disciple yourself. And, and the very nature of being a disciple is, is about love. It's love for, for Christ. And then it's love for the people of Christ. And loving his people means loving one another, which, of course, includes loving the church. And loving the church involves identifying with the church. And so here in verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is, he draws a connection between discipleship and baptism. And along with the Lord's Supper, communion, which we'll share this morning, the sacrament of Christian baptism has been practiced and celebrated by Christians worldwide from the very beginning of the church. Baptism is an outward sign that points to an inward reality. It's a sign of repentance, that's Acts 2. It's a sign of washing away of sin. That's Acts 22. It's a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12. It's a sign of our union with Jesus in death and resurrection, Romans 6. It's a sign of our being clothed in Christ, Galatians 3. 
It's a sign of the new covenant between God and his people, Colossians 2. And it's a sign of being counted among God's people, Ephesians 4. You see, baptism is not an end in itself. It is a public profession of faith that identifies you as belonging to Christ. And hear this, belonging to Christ's church. I think Jesus is teaching something very important here about discipleship with an eye toward the church. The church is important. Identifying with the church is important. Loving the church and, its, and, the, and church members is important. Going to church and participating in church life is important. These 90 minutes we spend together each week uh, in worship of God are invaluable to our faith and to our testimony of faith. That's just on Sunday. Not even taking into account the life of the church throughout the week in home groups or Bible studies or prayer groups, etc. And so people will sometimes say, maybe you've heard this, people will someday say, I love Jesus, just not the church. That's impossible. It's impossible to love Jesus without loving the church. Although we have a personal relationship with God, it's not a private one. We are born into the family of God. The church is called, I mean, think about this. The church is called the body of Christ, right? It's a metaphor, the body of Christ. But can you imagine saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I love your head. I can't stand your body. It's also called the bride of Christ. Would you ever say, Jesus, um, I love you. I can't stand your bride. We'd never say that. Man, I just want to speak with you candidly just for a moment. We men need to realize the enormous privilege, privilege, and responsibility we have in this regard. I came across an interesting statistic recently. If a child is the first to attend church, you know, maybe... Awana or youth group or VBS or whatever. If a child is the first to attend church, three and a half percent of the families will follow. If a wife or mother is the first to attend church, mops, um, women's prayer group, women's outdoor adventure fellowship. If a wife or mother is the first to attend church, a 17% of the families will follow. If, 
if the husband or father is the first to attend church, 93% of the families will follow. Men, we need to lead the way. We need to lead the way in loving the church and teach our families to love the church. And I just fear, and I'm not talking about necessarily anyone in this room, I'm just talking about a general comment. I just fear that too many men are taking a back seat even to the discipling of their own families. The church is God's idea. It's God's creation. He intends church to be a community of believers who live the gospel, love the gospel, love one another with the gospel, and minister the gospel together. These things, these things cannot be replicated by listening to a podcast or by watching a YouTube sermon. God has unique blessings to be had in and through the regular corporate gathering of the local congregation. Baptism is one of those blessings. Huge part of being a disciple and discipling others. If you, I just, just want you to think about this. If you consider yourself a Christian but have never been baptized, why not? God has blessing for you in baptism. Jesus here, Jesus expects it of you. By the way, we're having another uh, baptism service at the river this summer, July 26th. There'll be more details to come, obviously. But for now, just save the day. Let's celebrate this, this sacrament of baptism, this important aspect of discipleship together. So as disciples, we are to love one another. We are to love one another in the church. And as disciple makers, we are to baptize and teach others to love the church. Okay? Number three. Disciples of Christ abide in Christ. And bear much fruit. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So, as disciples and disciple makers, we are to bear fruit and we are to teach others to be fruit bearing. Two. How do we do that? Well, we do it by abiding in Christ. I am the vine. You are the branches, Jesus says in that same passage. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. We bear fruit by remaining and resting and relying upon Jesus each day and throughout the day. He is the vine, we are the branches. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit through its own effort, neither can we. The vine is the life source. The vine produces the fruit. The, ba- the branch simply bears it. That's why, have you ever thought about this? Somebody will come up to you and they'll say, I see this in you. I just thank you for this. You've really blessed. I just see this, whatever it is. You're, you're, you just have an incredible patience or, or what you said to that person just made such a difference or whatever. And you'll go, what? What are you talking about? Or, or maybe you've been the one saying that. Maybe you've gone up to somebody and you say, I just, you are an example for me. And they'll say to you, I'm not an example. I mean, praise the Lord. The whole, the whole, I mean, what we're experiencing there is the fact that Jesus is bearing fruit. Jesus is producing fruit in our lives, and it's just showing. It's just showing up. This relationship between the vine and the branch illustrates our relationship with him in that the, the greatest and truest mark of a disciple is not what he does, but who he's with. That's why I think the Lord's last comment in the Great Commission is one of assurance. He's assuring us of his presence, saying in verse 20, Behold, I am with you always. I'm with you. I'm with you always. And so the issue isn't whether Jesus is with us. We know he is. The issue, frankly, is whether we are with him. Every day, we face things that either draws us nearer to him or pulls us away depending on our response. A meeting that goes awry. A deal that falls through. A son or daughter who disappoints us. A parent who disappoints us. The car breaks down, the air conditioner goes out, the doctor's appointment reveals something unexpected, our teacher blames us for something we had no part of, our boss promotes someone else instead of us, someone at the church says something they, they shouldn't have said, someone else didn't say something they should have said. And whatever it is, every day we face these things that deeply affect us and can easily derail us if we're not careful. They can get us grousing and grumbling. They can make us impatient and ill-tempered. They can bring pressure and anxiety and stress. And in those moments, really in every moment, we have two simple options. We can, we can do life. We can face those things. We can do life with Without Jesus, feeling sorry for ourselves and offended or painfully self-reliant, 
which only leads to greater disappointment, or we can face these things, we can do life with Jesus, knowing that he's with us. And so whatever I'm facing on any given day, the Lord is saying to me, in effect, what's it going to be, Wayne? What's it going to be? Are you going to do this, whatever it is, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this with or without me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust that I know best? Are you going to trust that, that I have, that all things are under my authority? Or are you going to go, go your own way? Are you going to lean upon your own understanding and go in your own strength? What's it going to be, Wayne? You see, walking with Christ or abiding in Christ isn't just about religious activities or quiet time devotions. It's not just about sacred things or being more spiritual. It's about walking through each day in the power and presence of Jesus. And as you do that, we bear much fruit. We begin to see people differently when we walk with Jesus. We begin to see them as, not as interruptions to our plans, but as opportunities that God has planned for us. So, so instead of being annoyed by the server who messed up my order. I begin to see her as someone God loves for whom Christ died. And I begin to see her as someone who simply made a mistake or maybe is just having a bad day. We've all had a bad day. Maybe she woke up this morning dreading going to work, being on her feet all day, dealing with cranky customers and a, clo a, a, a slow kitchen staff or demanding boss that doesn't appreciate her. And so maybe if I'm walking with Christ, maybe... Maybe God, maybe, maybe God doesn't want me to leave a smaller tip for a messed up order. In fact, maybe he wants me to leave a much larger tip just to brighten her day. We see people differently when we walk with Christ. People see us differently. They may not be able to put their finger on it. But they notice something different about us and they're drawn to it. It's, it's, as I was reminded last week, it's this idea of being Jesus with skin on. Christ really is in you. And he invites you to abide in him. So what's it going to be? We're going to trust him. 
going to do life with him or without him. Fulfilling God's purposes occurs as we trust God's promises. And God's promises to us here in the Great Commission include the power of Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, as well as the presence of Christ. I am with you always. Disciples of Christ continue in his word and they help others do the same. Disciples of Christ love his people, the church, and they help others do the same. Disciples of Christ abide in Christ and bear much fruit. And they help others do the same. It really does bring us full circle in that our response to the Great Commission really is a response to the Great Commandment. It's because we love the Lord that we strive to reach people for the Lord and build them up in the Lord. That's the heart of discipleship. That's what being a disciple-making church is all about. It's about going and growing by the grace of God to the glory of God. So here's what I want to do this morning. As we gather around the Lord's table and... uh, and share communion together, I just want to give you uh, a moment to respond to the Lord. Prayerfully, silently, where you are. As much as possible, just kind of put aside the distractions and, and just be in the presence of God. We've heard from the Word of God today, specifically about discipleship, about 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 um, being a disciple, about making disciples, about what it is that makes a disciple. And, uh, and so it seems appropriate that we would just pause to consider our own relationship with Jesus and the degree to which we are growing as disciples, the degree to which you are growing as a disciple and as a disciple maker. And so this is just really an opportunity to remember. Jeff's going to play a little bit. Um, Maybe it's an opportunity for repentance and confession. Maybe you haven't continued in the word as you you should, or or you haven't loved Christ's people as you should, or the church as it should, as you should. Um... Maybe you haven't abided in the Lord as you want to or, or, or could. And so this might be an opportunity for you. Maybe you just haven't followed the Lord. Or, or you need to follow Him more closely. And so as the music plays, just be in the Lord's presence. And then we'll take the bread and the cup together.